If you are a guest here this morning, I especially want to welcome you. And I just want to say that if you are looking for a church home, one of our members would be glad to take you out to our guest services and just give you some information, share with you a little bit about our church, who we are. And if you're looking and we want you to pray about maybe making Central Community your home. I also want to welcome, we've got a group of guests here today from Chicago that are here for um, Jeff's service for tomorrow and this afternoon. And they're all right in this area here. This is his, his friends. And so let's just welcome them, would you? And would you make sure that, would you make sure that you just say hi to them or welcome them or let them know that you're praying for them? I know they would really appreciate it. All right, one last thing that I want to share with you that happened this week that I'm really excited about is that, um, I don't know if you realize this, but Justin Moore, our executive director, um, has been going through the ordination process. And this last week, he got his license. Now, it doesn't mean he's ordained yet, but he got his license. So what that means is two things. Number one, he will now be able to marry and bury and do all the things of the pastor, and he gets the names changed. He is now referred to as Pastor Justin Moore. So we want to thank him for that. Okay. His wife Amanda is still referred to as your Royal Highness, but Justin gets Pastor Moore, okay? All right. All right, so today we're going to begin something brand new for the next five weeks. You know, one of the things about all of us as a people, as individuals, is that we want to know about our future, right? We like to know about things that are going to be happening in the future, and we ask a lot of questions about them. You remember even when you were little, you might say, I wonder what I'm going to be when I grow up. I wonder who I'm going to marry. I wonder where I'm going to live. You see, we ask those questions because God put within us eternity, we realize that this is not our home, that there's something more to life, and so we like to know about our future. And you know what's interesting is that as we grow up, that doesn't change. We still wanna know about our future, don't we? We ask questions like, I wonder if I'm gonna get that pay raise. I wonder if someday if I'm gonna own my own company. I wonder if we're gonna have any more kids. I wonder how many grandkids I have. I wonder if the Chiefs are gonna win the Super Bowl, right? I mean, we all want to know about things in our future. But one of the things that's really, we've heard a lot, the question that people are asking right now is, when is Jesus coming back? I mean, look at all of the things that are happening, all of these signs that are going on in our world. Is Jesus coming back soon? Now, what I want you to know is that when we study end times, that's called eschatology. Now, I also want to go one step farther and tell you a little bit about eschatology. Your belief about how the world will end has probably been formed because of the church or your denomination or how you grew up. There are a lot of different beliefs about how the world is going to come to an end. You may be a premillennialist, either pre-trib or post-trib. You may be a post-millennialist. You may be an ah-millennialist. All of these studies of eschatology are the study of how the world is going to come to an end. So, because we are a community church, 
We have people in here from the Nazarene church. We have people in here from the Baptist church. We have people here from the Lutheran church. We have people here from the Catholic church. We have people in here that have never been to a church. We have people from a Christian church. We have people from all different backgrounds or different denominations. That word denomination means to divide, okay? So depending on your denomination, that's gonna have a lot to say on what you believe. At Central Community, I want you to know that our focus is not on the things that divide us, but on the things that unite us. And you know what unites us? We can all say Jesus is coming again. And when he comes, the world as we know it will come to an end. And so I'm beginning a brand new series called Here's Your Sign. Now, as we go through this, I want to encourage you, if you haven't, get in a life group. And the reason is, is because there's going to be some unbelievable discussion about this. My only precursor is this, don't call me. (laughs) Now, here at Central Community Church, we are part of the Church of God in Anderson. And we believe that we are a-millennialists, okay? So that will tell you a little bit about some of the areas of teaching that I'm going to come from. One of the things that I found as I've been doing a lot of research is that it doesn't matter what your background is, we want to focus on the fact that Jesus is coming again. But here's something I thought that was really interesting, and I really appreciated this. As I looked at probably three or four different denominations and what their belief was about eschatology, here's what all four of these denominations said at the end of their writings on eschatology. We make room for diversity of opinion. So here's what I want you to understand. What we're talking about now is not a heaven or a hell issue. How you believe about the way Jesus is going to come back is not one of those non-negotiables. But we do need to understand why the Bible teaches us about the signs And the reason for that is is because God's will is that we would all simply be ready. So Jesus and the disciples were just like us. The disciples wanted to know about the future. And so we begin our story at the temple, okay? And at the temple, Jesus and his disciples are teaching I want you to know that not only is Jesus teaching, he's doing something else here. And what he's doing is, is he is rebuking the leaders in the church. You know why? Because of their hypocrisy and their unbelief. He is really laying it on the line. And what he's telling them is this, you didn't believe me. I've tried to warn you, but you have not believed me. So now you must endure the punishment. You must learn the lesson of the temple. And you know how Jesus said it to him? He said it to him like this. How many times have I tried to gather you under my wings as a hen gathers her chicks? but you would not have it. You see, the people didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was. And now the punishment is going to come. 
And I believe that Jesus is not just talking to the individuals of that time. He's also talking to all of us. And here's what he's telling us. Learn the lesson of the temple. Don't be deceived. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. Mark my words. Stand with me out of respect for God's word. As I read from Matthew chapter 24, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. You see all these things, he asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these, all these are the beginning of birth pains. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, may we not be deceived, but be on guard standing firm until the end. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. All right, so this morning, what I'm gonna do is I'm not even gonna get through all of the first eight verses. But I want to kind of set the lay of the land for you so that you can understand the horrible, the, excuse me, not the horrible, the historical setting and the background, okay? It's really important that we kind of have our basis. And I, I hate to tell you this, but if you don't get the first part, the second and third part's going to be difficult. So I'll go real slow, okay? The disciples right now and Jesus are in the temple, okay? Just like I said, they were teaching but not only were they teaching, they were admonishing and they were rebuking the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the leaders of the law. Jesus now is in the temple for the last time. This is the last time he's gonna be in the temple preaching and teaching so you can understand that this happens sometime around AD 33. When Jesus leaves the temple, something very symbolic happens. 
when Jesus leaves the temple, the presence of God also leaves and vacates the temple. That makes the temple ripe for destruction. I'll say that again. When Jesus leaves this temple, it is symbolic of a prophecy that I'm going to tell you about in just a little bit that has to do with that when Jesus leaves, the presence of the Lord is being removed from the temple. And the result of that is the temple now is ripe for destruction. Now, I want you to write this down, Ezekiel 11, verse 23. Ezekiel 11, verse 23. This is the prophecy that's referring to what I just told you about. The the glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. So, my friends, what I want you to understand is that the presence of God has left the temple Now the temple is ripe for destruction. Now that seems really bad, doesn't it? But I want to remind you is that our God works all things, not some things, all things for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And yes, the people would not have been too excited about the fact that the presence of God is leaving the temple. But what happened was is it made it perfect timing for another temple to come about, a temple not made by human hands to replace the temple made by human hands. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Remember this verse? We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days we'll build up another not made with human hands. The presence of God now lives within this temple. Isn't that awesome? Now, here's the next part of it that I want you to understand, okay? So now, I want to look at this a little bit more closely, and we got to go back to chapter 23 so that you can understand in a little bit more detail about what's happening, okay? Here we go. Look, your house is left to you desolate. The house is the reference to the temple, and the temple now has been vacated by the presence of God. Everybody in the temple now will have to make a decision about who he is. Well, that's obvious, right? I mean, Jesus was in there and he had just told them, he had rebuked them. You guys have been been hypocrites and you have not believed me, and guess what? Now the presence is leaving and you will not see me again until you've changed your minds. Now look at this. In verse 39 of chapter 23, it says, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Aha! That rings a bell, doesn't it? Now, what I want you to know now is what Jesus is simply saying is this. This temple that has now become desolate, the presence of God has now left, it was there to be a house of prayer but instead it has become as fruitless as the fig tree. Do you remember? In these chapters, you're going to hear Jesus is going to give a parable about the fig tree, and Pastor John is going to teach about that in four weeks, okay? 
So Jesus is saying that the temple, which was there to bear fruit for my kingdom, for my father's kingdom, has become fruitless as the fig tree. All right, now let's go back to that statement. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Where have I heard that before? Well, it's in the Psalms. Let's go back now. And look what it says here. It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. That term, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, was said when? When Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on the colt of a donkey, right? The people, they threw down their coats. They raised their band, their palms, and they were yelling, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What were they doing? They were announcing Messiah. And that's what Jesus was telling the people you have to make a decision about. Do you believe that I am Messiah? So that's kind of where we are right now. Okay, let's go back to the temple for a moment. So the disciples and Jesus are in the temple. And actually, they're in the courtyard of the temple. They are getting ready to leave the temple, okay? And as they're leaving the temple, the disciples say something to Jesus. They go, hey, Jesus, have you noticed how beautiful these buildings are? Have you noticed how massive these stones are in this temple? Is this not something awesome or what? What were the disciples doing? They were trying to take Jesus and his attention back to the temple, but Jesus' presence was leaving the temple, was it not? So what's going on here? Well, I want you to remember this or know about this. This is the temple here. And I want you to know that this temple was an absolute magnificent temple. But let me give you a quick little history about this. This is the second temple that was built. The first one was built by Solomon, remember? This all happened 500 years ago. Remember, David wanted to build the temple. Remember that? He wanted to build a house for God. And the Lord said to him, no, David, you don't get to build the temple. Why? Because there was blood on his hands. He was a warrior. So God said, your son Solomon, he will be the one who will build my temple. David then got all of the materials ready for Solomon so that he could build the temple. And when he built that temple, it was absolutely gorgeous. And it was even better than this second temple. This second temple was built by King Herod. Now, King Herod is the one who's in charge of the area right now. The Jews didn't like him. And so he built the temple as a bridge so that he and the Jews could get along. Now, listen very carefully. It took him 46 years to build the temple. 46 years. Now, here's what I need you to understand. As the disciples are leaving this part of the temple and they're looking at how awesome this building is, what you need to know is they associated their religion with that temple. 
the disciples, like all of the Jews in those days, believed in the permanence of the temple because it was the greatest thing that had ever been built. People came from all around the world to see it. It took 46 years to build it. Nothing is going to be able to destroy it. And so they see the temple as the permanence of their religion. Now, Jesus has just told them, uh, guys, that temple that you see, gorgeous, isn't it? It's going to be destroyed. In fact, it's going to be so destroyed, along with the city of Jerusalem, that there will not be one stone left upon another. Herod was a master architect in fact, if you go to architect school, they still use some of the things that he used when he built the temple. Some of those stones weighed in excess of 65,000 pounds. He had 30,000 slaves to build that temple, and it took him 46 years. His architecture was so good that you could not get a piece of paper through the cracks in the rocks. That's how good he was. And when you go to the Holy Lands right now, you can see that he built it so that it actually kind of arched a little bit so as to give it more support. Now, in AD 66, about 30 years after this time, the prophecy that Jesus has said was going to happen, happened. The Jews revolted against the Romans. And for two years, they kind of held their own. But then a man by the name of Titus, who was the general, came in. He replaced a guy who replaced Nero because, if you know history, Nero had committed suicide. So now there's this general Titus, and you know what he does? He gets his army, and he sweeps through, and he just destroys everything in the city, sets it on fire, even takes the gold that was found in the rocks. All of the Jews is completely destroyed. And this is now the prophecy of what Jesus said was going to happen, and that happened in A.D. 70. After the disciples hear this, they now leave the temple with Jesus and they head to the Mount of Olives. It's east of the city, as you remember the prophecy said in Ezekiel. So they walk through the city of Jerusalem. They go out through the eastern gate. That's the gate that they believe that the Messiah is going to come back again through. They walk through the Garden of Gethsemane. I wonder if Jesus is thinking, hmm, I'm going to be here in a few days, praying pretty, he pretty, pretty heavily. And they go to the top of the Mount of Olives. Now, this is Jesus' third teaching with the disciples, and it's called the Olivet Discourse simply because it took place on the Mount of Olives. Wow, that's brilliant, isn't it? Okay? All right, now, I want you to look at these words. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. All right, now, very important to understand. In verses one through three that I read just a little bit, there are actually two questions that are asked. The first question asked by the disciples is this. So this whole thing about the, the church, the temple, Jerusalem, so when's this going to happen? 
And that is answered, that question is answered in Luke chapter 21, verse 20. Listen to these words. It says, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Okay, so they've already answered that very first question. Now they come to the second question. Now remember, again, the disciples thought that this temple was permanent. Jesus tells them that the temple is going to be destroyed. They believe him. They believe that the prophecy of the temple is going to be destroyed. So they think if something this massive is going to be destroyed, he must be talking about end times. So now they come to him. Okay, Jesus, so tell us. We know when the first... Now, when are these end times going to come about? All right, take a look at this. So Jesus begins with a warning. People will try and deceive you. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there is a NASA engineer back in the 1980s. Is there anybody that was never alive in the 1980s? Oh, my word. Some of you are old. Okay, in the 1980s, his name was Edgar Wisenhunt. He was a NASA engineer, but he was also a Bible scholar. He searched the scriptures and he wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1988. Okay? Now listen to this. He sold 4.2 million books. Don't be deceived, Jesus says. What do you think happened? Well, Jesus didn't come, obviously, right? So he wrote another book. I mistook. It's 1993. And then after that year came and gone, I meant 94. Well, you know that Jesus didn't come on any of those times. But Jesus tells us right off the bat, you have to be careful that you are not deceived. All right, now, I want to make sure that I get this right here, okay? So, before the destruction, now this is where it gets interesting, you know, there are some people who believe that everything in Matthew 24 is about what happens before the destruction of the temple. And the reason they believe that is because before leading up to AD 70, when the temple was, was destroyed, there were a few individuals who were leaders of, of, of groups of people that called themselves Jesus of Nazareth. They took on the title, I am Jesus of Nazareth, coming back. And guess what happened? They deceived many. In the 20th century, there are no less than 28 individuals who came to, into our world that said, we are the Messiah, the second coming of the Christ. In the 21st century, so far, there's been eight. Now remember, what did Jesus say again? He said, don't be deceived. Now, I want to take this one step farther, okay? I think we also have to be careful. It's not that of men coming saying, I am the Christ. I think we have to be more careful right now of us as men and women assigning the term Messiah to man. 
There's no political party or individual that is the savior. Can I say that again? There is no political party or person who is our savior. Jesus says, don't be deceived. Even the Antichrist, he's going to be filled with all kinds of charisma, and people are going to be drawn to him. And Jesus says, don't be deceived. Keep your eyes on me, is what he says. All right, now, I don't know about you, but this is the question that I ask right away. Okay, I want to know, how do I keep from being deceived? Anybody else in here with me? I mean, I want to know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, how do I know that Bob Beckler will not be deceived? And you know what? The Bible tells us it ensures us of how that will happen. And here's the first thing it tells us. It's knowledge of the Word of God. All right, now, I want to share something with you, and I'm going to go, I'm going to, go to um, John chapter 14, verse 6. John chapter 14, verse 6. You all know this passage. Listen to this word. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we follow Jesus, my friends, truth will be revealed because you're in relationship. Okay, I want to say that again. That's really important. How do you get knowledge of word of God? You have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as you are in relationship with Jesus Christ, he will reveal to you truth. All right? So that's the first way. Here's the second way. The second way that you can make sure, obedience to the word of God. And I want you to write down John 8, verses 31 and 32. Listen to these words here. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, if you are in my word, because you and I have relationship, and you are obedient to my word, you will not be deceived. That's the answer. It's knowledge of word of God, and it's obedience to the word of God. All right, now, let's go to this next part here. Whoops, I went too far, sorry. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but to see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things much happen, but the end is still to come. So I want you just to look at all the things that are happening in our world right now. There's wars, there's famines, there's earthquakes, there's hurricanes, there's, I mean, there are all kinds of things that are happening. Floods, okay? What does Jesus say? But the end is still to come. And it goes on. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in the various places. All these are the beginnings of the, of the birth pains, okay? All right, so here's what the Bible says to us. Keep the main thing the main thing. In other words, don't be so enamored by the signs. I mean, let me ask you, how many of you know what a stop sign looks like? Okay? Do you ever go out and run in front of the, the stop sign and say, hey, Lori, take a picture of me in front of the stop sign. This sign is just awesome, right? You don't, right? What do you do? You look at the sign and you know what the sign is for. It tells you what to do. Remember, Jesus called his miracles signs. Remember what he said? He said, you wicked people, you come to me and you just want a sign. The signs were there to point them to Jesus. 
And that's what Jesus is telling us and telling the disciples right now. Look for the signs, but don't be enamored by them. Use the signs to keep the main thing the main thing. My grandfather was a farmer. Oh, he lived by the almanac. And when he knew it was going to be raining or whatever, he could tell by the, by, the, by the signs in the sky, you know what we did? We'd get the machinery in. We'd make sure everything was hatched down. Why? Because that's what the signs told us to do. The signs are there to make sure that we stay focused on what we need to do. So when Lori and I were having Nicole, actually Lori had her, <clears throat> but I want you to know that when we went into the hospital, you guys are going to look at me like, what in the world are you talking about? But back in those days, we had a class called Lamaz. Anybody know what Lamaz is in here? A few of you do. Man, you guys are really old. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Now, so Lamaz was a time, for those of you young guys, you missed it because you could really get your wife on this one. So what you would do is you would go to this Lamaz class and they would, they would let the husband, I shouldn't say, I didn't mean let the husband, but they did. They let the husband inflict pain on their wife. I did not enjoy it. Okay, so what we would do is you would grab them right here in the inner leg and you would squeeze as hard as you could. Okay, then you were taught breathing exercises. So you would help them focus on the breathing exercise. I was a great coach, wasn't I? <laughs> All right, so here's what happened. They would hook her up to this monitor and the monitor would tell us when the contractions were coming. So I was there watching that monitor and when I saw that line begin to climb, I knew there's a contraction coming and I could even say, ooh, this was a big one. Then I, would drop, then I would get into my coaching mode and I would say to her, I got right in her and I says, and this, is, this was called the choo-choo. They would find something on the ceiling and they would focus on it and I would say, okay, Lori, this is a big one, so let's do our breathing. That's what we did, don't laugh. I thought I was gonna hyperventilate, but I didn't, okay? So as I'm getting her going, you know what she says to me? Get out of my face. <laughs> you were not very nice during that time. I figured that was not the time to talk to her about having more kids, anyways. But here's what I want you to understand. When I would look at that machine and I would see the signs of the contraction coming, and all I tried to do is to remind her that the goal was to get through the contraction. The focus was the baby. That's what Jesus is telling us. See the signs. Acknowledge the signs. But the focus is on Jesus coming again. In the meantime, when you see the signs, dig your heels in, stand firm, and get to work. And what is our work here at Central Community? It's to know Christ and to make him known. If you heard my prayer, I mentioned to you that this last week, we took a whole bunch of cookies to all of the nurses in USD 259 that were meeting at one place for a meeting. You know what I heard and you know what I know 
all of them were so very thankful that there was a church who was praying for them. When they go through their difficult times in the hospitals or working with the kids, what church do you think they're gonna think about? Ours. And when they come, and I guarantee you they will, we wanna be there with open arms. Today, as we now move through this series, here's your sign. Don't email me, okay? But be like the Bereans. And what did the Bereans do? They went back to the word and they read the word. But remember this, our focus is this. It's not so much about how Jesus comes, it's focusing on the fact that he is coming again. And when he comes again, we all want to be ready. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.